If you are new here, welcome. Wherever you are in your journey of life, wherever you are in your journey of faith, we are glad you are here. We're going to take a few moments now and reflect on a piece of the Bible, a passage of Scripture, which is what we do every week. Uh, We are finishing up a series on prayer. This is the third of a three-part series, just to get you contextualized. We talked two weeks ago about the centrality of prayer. Last week, we talked about the purpose of prayer, and today we will reflect on the power of prayer. And if you have a bulletin, you will find the relevant scripture that we will be examining together on the back panel from the fourth chapter of the book of Acts. And if you've got that, or if you've got a Bible or a Bible app and you've got to turn there, please read along as we read together God's word. And to that end, Lyndon. Our scripture reading this morning is from Acts 4, verses 23 through 37. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? And the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Mm -hmm. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, I remember the day as if it was yesterday. I was newly married. I was barely into my 30s. I had my whole life ahead of me, and I was planning it as we went. The future looked glorious. The future is friendly. Tell us was right, and I was excited about it. But we were in a room with an ophthalmologist who turned, ushered people out of the room and turned to us and said, you have a melanoma. You have cancer in the eye. And at that moment, my life changed because a veil got lifted. And I began to see the world as it really was. 
a world I could not and never was in control of. I needed some kind of power, the power to deal with the circumstances that were coming at me, the power to transcend the despair that was rushing upon my soul. And indeed, everyone in this room, you are like me. Sooner or later, the veil of self-control and our ability to run our life gets lifted. And the world is seen as it really is. It is not something we can control. And at that moment, we need power. Power in our lives to help us transcend the circumstances, the tragedies, the trials, the afflictions of life. We need real power, internal power. And this narrative of the book of Acts says true power, true spiritual power, power that defies the brokenness of the world we inhabit, that power is available from God. And that power is unleashed through prayer. The power of God himself is tapped, the grace of God is released, and a weary world rejoices. This passage tells us some clues as to how to get there. This passage takes the veil off our eyes and reminds us of our need for prayer. This passage talks about the preconditions for prayer, uh, for power, excuse me. And finally, it talks about the kind of power God gives. The need for power, the preconditions for power, and the kind of power God unleashes. The need for power, the first few uh, verses in your bulletin, uh, right in the middle of the book of Acts in the fourth chapter, it says, when they were released. This is the leaders, this is the apostles, Peter, and others have been arrested, they've been interrogated, there is much persecution already happening, and the elders of, or the leaders of the Jewish colony of Rome tell them to stop preaching the word. So they get released, and they go back to the church, the early fragile church in Jerusalem, probably a month or two, maybe three months old, a couple thousand people, that's it, in the whole Roman Empire, call themselves Christians. And at that moment, with no civil rights, already facing the hostility of their culture, they realize what they need to do. They've got no levers of cultural power. They've got no civil rights advocacy. They've only got one place to look. That's up. They've only got one person to look to, and that's God. And I submit to you, if you are a Christian today, this is our hour. We have nowhere else to go and not really anyone else to look to. We too are rejected or neglected by our culture. We too face an indifferent, indeed hostile world in our day. The details are vastly different from the days of the early church, but the indifference, the hostility, the cultural despising of Christianity is very reminiscent of those days. Now, if you're here and you're curious about Christianity, you may go, are you, are you kidding me? This is a, a Christian nation, or so we sometimes hear. You may think we're being a little bit overblown in our concerns, but I submit to you that when we did a survey of Christians in our church who worked in the 
same offices you do and ask them what would happen if you were fully open about your Christianity, 40% said they would have significant career consequences. When we pressed further and said, how many of you think you'd be fired if, the, if you were fully open and honest about your Christianity? 25% said they probably would. This is our day, and if you're a Christian, you know somewhat what I speak of. You know how alone you can feel, how fragile you often feel, how tempted you feel just to turtle, to bury your faith when at school or at work. This kind of context makes us feel timid. It makes us feel tempted. It makes us feel discouraged. We need power, real spiritual power. And in this narrative, God unleashes it when they realize it and go to him. The need for power leads us to pray. And I just want to stop here and say, almost everybody I see with my eyes right now, you actually feel that need. You're maybe not as in touch with it. But already this morning, I've gone up to three people and just said, are you okay? And all three needed prayer. We need power. Where do we go? We go to God. That's the need. Secondly, there are preconditions for power. And what I mean is, let's look at the prayer that this early church prays in light of the context of need. They turn to God in light of their hostility, and what do they do? They pray. How? They start their prayer. It's the third line of your bulletin passage, and they say, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and then they quote Psalm 2, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Sovereign Lord, who's made everything, you predicted back in Psalm 2, written centuries and centuries before, this moment we are existing in. Now watch what they say. For truly, third paragraph, in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate. We are living in the day predicted by Psalm 2. Verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. The first precondition that they have is confidence, rock-solid confidence that the thing that has driven them to pray because it's out of their control is in the control of the one they pray to. I'm not in control of my cancer, but God is. I'm not in control of whatever you're going through, but God is. This is not an aberration. This is something you knew about, you have allowed, and we're going to come to you confident that you're going to use this somehow in our life. They're not afraid, they're confident. This is the foundation, the preconditional foundation of prayer that unleashes power. Confident prayers that depend upon and lean upon God, trusting that he has the situation totally in the palm of his hand. God, I'm stressed, but you aren't. God, I've got cancer, but you knew about it. God, you fill in what you're thinking right now because it's in the top of your mind. I don't know what's going on, but you do. So I'm coming impudently, we said a few weeks ago, but I'm coming confidently 
that you have the situation in hand and you want me to come to you because you're ready to answer my prayers. Charles Spurgeon was a famous and very gifted preacher. He was also plagued by great bouts of depression. If we had modern medicine diagnosing him now, he would almost surely be bipolar. He sometimes had to take a month off, two months off, three months off. He was very confident when he, when he preached, but as he came up the stairs to ascend to the place where he was going to preach, the person who was called to write down his sermons, because that's what they did back then, they didn't record them, could hear him every step. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Step by step, as he fought the discouragement in his mind, he had confidence, not emotional confidence, but a rock-solid confidence, and he asked God to come. So I, I just came back from Vancouver, uh, and I want to tell you a story. I was, um, on Wednesday night before I left, I was meeting with a friend from our church and his brother, who was from England, who was telling me these amazing stories about all the things that God was doing as he, as he, as he was doing his work and as he was meeting people and all the, these God intersections. And it was like, are you crazy? This is like a, 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 this is like a Kirk Cameron movie or something. This cannot be true. And then I went home and I was envious. And I said, that doesn't seem to happen to me. And so I said, Lord, tomorrow when I go to the airport, I want one of those moments. Give me one of those moments. I was, I was, I was spiritually jealous is really what I was. So I get to the airport and I'm late. There's a massive uh, accident and so I'm flying in late. I jump out, I run to the security line and I really have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and so, you know, when you're 57, you have these temptations, bladder, security line, what do I do? And so there's the washroom and there's the security line. I'm like, oh no, I, I promised God I would try and have a conversation. And I look in the security line and the last person, I can just see the back of her. She's about six feet tall. She has really blingy, really expensive, fashionable looking clothes. I can tell her running shoes are more expensive than the ticket that I bought to go to Vancouver. And she's probably Asian. She's got that Shanghai new money and I probably can't even speak to her look. So I'm like, I should go to the, no, I'll, I'll get in line. So I get in line and I don't, I don't know, you know, what do you say? You're a creepy 57-year-old man hitting on a 21-year-old, and it's not going to work. Lord, what do I say? And then I realize, oh my gosh, I might, I might miss my flight. And I said, excuse me, I have to get to Vancouver. Do you mind if I go ahead of you? And she looks at me and goes, I'm going to Vancouver too, and the line's three people. Take a look. And I look, and I'm like, okay, the, now I'm toast, right? Not only am I... 57, but I'm an idiotic 57-year-old. So, so we're in line, and she's going to Vancouver, but she's on the same flight I am. Okay. Well, that failed, but that was nice. Go through security, uh, and then I'm like, okay, made it. Now I can have a coffee. Go to Starbucks. Who's there? She is. And I'm like, okay, Lord, you promised. So I said, what brings you to Vancouver? She goes, oh, I'm going home. I'm just finished my undergrad at UBC and I just did my interview to go to a master's at Waterloo. I said, oh, in what? Oh, math. I said, oh, great. I, Shanghai. I said, are you, where are you from? She says, I'm from China. I said, oh, great. Okay, I get it. Rich Shanghai or Beijing money, totally math, you know, completely not going to be interested in the gospel. So we start talking and I say, what brought you into math? And so she, she talks a little bit. Then we get her coffee and she says, uh, by the way, what do you do? And I go, here it goes. I'm a pastor of a church. <laughs> Usually stops all conversation for at least an hour. 
Don't try this, by the way. You have much better, much more inviting. I'm a pastor of a church, and I'm like, okay. You know, before I had a chance to go anywhere with this, she goes, really? Well, my best friend back at UBC, she's been sharing Jesus with me, and I go to church. Do you know this pastor of this Taiwanese church? I said, no, I'm afraid I don't. Okay, well, that's very interesting. So then I, tell, I get to tell her on the way to the gate how God changed my life in law school. And I said, you know, uh, my church is for skeptics like you. She goes, you don't call me a skeptic. I'm not a skeptic. I'm curious. I said, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. And so she leaves, and she, I said, where are you going? She says, I'm going to gate 38. I said, it's at gate 39. And she goes, oh, sorry, I was looking at my ticket. I'm in seat 38, not gate 38. I said, I'm in row 38. <laughs> so this is God. Anyways, she's not in my, she's not right beside me like it's a big plane, and she's somewhere else on, on row 38. But there's just this strange thing. She goes, it was really nice to meet you. I said, God set this up for a reason. Because God loves you and he just wants you to know him. She goes, I think I believe that. I get off the plane looking for her and can't find her because somehow we got way ahead of her. And so then I just forget about it. You know, job is done. Great. Oh, by the way, on the plane, I got so excited, I tried to talk to the guy beside me, you know. This is, I'm on a roll. Hi, I'm a pastor. He goes, that's nice. I went to Cambodia last week. Okay, so he told me about Cambodia and never stopped. So that didn't work. But I get, out of the, I get out of the plane, I can't find her, so I just go, and then the bladder finally, you know, s- speaks up, and so I, I go for about the third time, and I come out of the bathroom, and I'm just walking, and then suddenly I accidentally bump into someone's, ba- and it's her, and so I just said, hey, don't, you know, I just want to tell you it was a pleasure, and I think God had set it up, and God blessed you, and she goes... I want to tell you, it has been a pleasure. And you tell your wife and your lovely daughter, God bless you. I said, you believe that? She goes, I think I do. I said, wow. God works. God works. Now, had I been as confident and as spiritual as I wished I'd been? No. But God loves when his people pray and trust him for his promises. But there's a second precondition here. They don't just go to God confidently. They unite their prayers to God's purposes. Notice what they ask for and what they don't ask for. They don't ask for, God, just take this away. God, give us a leader who will stop persecuting us. God, help us to have comfort. They don't pray any of that. What do they pray? And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Work in us and through us while you stretch out your hand to heal. Work around us. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Hear this now. The prayers that God unleashes power in response to are not selfish prayers, but prayers that unite with God's purpose for you. James, the apostle, is quite clear on this. In James chapter 4, he talks about unanswered prayer. Verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your selfish desires. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity toward God? Now, hear me now. This does not mean you can never pray for personal concerns. 
Jesus, when he gave us the Lord's Prayer, said, pray this, give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation. Jesus wants you to pray for your personal concerns and your personal needs. But there's a difference between praying for your personal needs and your selfish desires. And, and don't, don't start texting me now, well, I've got this situation. Is that a personal need or, or, or is this a selfish desire? I don't know. Don't ask me, ask him. I, I'm not your personal Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm just a pastor here. I don't even know myself sometimes when I'm praying, is this a personal need or a selfish desire? I'll talk about that in a minute. But I do know. You should ask yourself, why do I want this? What's my heart motivation? Why am I praying for it? Is it to bless others? And is it to give glory to God? Or is it just for my own comfort and my own pleasure? What is clear from this passage and the James passage is that God loves to unleash his power through prayers that unite themselves to his purposes. And what's God's purpose for you? Well, look at how Jesus asked us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's not about me. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth. The majority of the prayer Jesus taught us is about his kingdom being advanced. It's about his glory being made known. It's about people experiencing the joy and the beauty of God. That's the bulk of the prayer that Jesus taught us that we call the Lord's Prayer in Christian vernacular. And God's purposes in this world are those, his glory, his kingdom to be extended, the truth and the beauty of the gospel to go into every corner of the world. And here the church unites themselves to God's purpose by asking to be his witnesses. You can do that when you see yourself as God sees you. His holy image made to reflect him and his love to the world. Now if you're here and you're uh, curious about the Christian faith, I'm not going to call you a skeptic. I have been duly rebuked at at an airport. Uh, God doesn't answer selfish prayers. Or if he does, it's only to further his own purposes. So God will often say no to selfish prayers, or he will say yes so that it backfires on you and reveals something about you. If you're here and you're a Christian, don't just pray for promotion at work. Ask yourself and ask God, is this promotion going to further your glory? Is it, will this be used for your purposes or is it just for mine? Now, I'm going to say this one with caution. Sue and I, many of you know, had trouble having our own child. It turned out we had medical reasons that were prohibiting it. But we had prayed and wanted, before we even thought about trying to have kids, we'd wanted to adopt. Adoption was always part of our plan. But we had prayed to adopt, not for our own joy, but as a particular witness of the beauty of God through our family life for our neighbors and the world to see so that they would see God and the gospel in the adoption, the adoption of our, in our family. And so we were particular about that, and so we did not feel free to adopt as soon as we had trouble. We had offers when we lived in Florida. Uh, people were going to pay for adoptions for us, but we felt constrained. We did. Not everybody But we did, because we had felt called that adoption would be part of this public witness. It was only when we moved here to Toronto, 
and my family, most of whom are not Christian, pooled together money and then made an intervention meeting with us and said, we want you to adopt. We know you've been waiting. The time is now. Go. That we finally felt freed and began to pray, Lord, I think now the timing of this adoption is uniting with your purpose for public witness in our family, which we had been somewhat estranged from. That was, I think, in early June. By July 1st, we had a meeting uh, done with the social worker, and by April of the following year, we had a baby in our house when we were told to expect a three- to five-year wait. God unleashed power, but he waited for us to unite our desire to adopt to his purposes for gospel witness in our family. And that God has used Shela break down walls to open up avenues of deep intimacy in my family that had not been there before. The preconditions for, for power in these prayers, they pray confidently that God's got it and they go to him in confidence that he will hear. Secondly, they pray and unite their prayers to God's purposes. Pray confidently. Unite your prayers to his purposes and God will unleash power. Now, finally, let's look at the kind of power he will unleash. Now, if you look at this passage, uh, it says that in relation to what happened, and you will see it um, in the middle of the third paragraph, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. There are three things that happen. God shows his power around them. He shakes the place. God shows his power to them. He fills them with the Holy Spirit. And God shows his power through them. They speak the word with boldness and they live radically generous lives. That's the whole next paragraph. Around them, to them, and through them. That's the kind of power God gives. I'm just going to start with to them. The text says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you remember, but two weeks ago when we were looking at the centrality of prayer, Jesus promised that he, Father, God the Father would never refuse a prayer of his people for the Holy Spirit. And people have wondered about that. I think this is partly an answer to that exact promise of Jesus. Because Jesus also promises people that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. Here's the purpose. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Acts 1, 8 and 9. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to us in answer to our prayers. He will give his spirit to empower you to do what he's called you to do. He will give you a measure of the Spirit sufficient to the need of what he's calling you to do as he unites you to his purposes, to you, and then through you. He bears witness. They are bold. They are bold. They start speaking crazy stuff to people who don't want to listen, and they get imprisoned, and they get tortured, and they get beaten and they get all kinds of things but people come and start to believe but not only that but they they unleash this prayer unleashes this generosity through the Holy Spirit that there's no one needy among them they're not only with great power giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus verse 33 
But verse 34, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. Power to them, the Holy Spirit came in to them in a great measure with great power. Through them, bold witness, radical generosity. Amazing story. And then around them. It doesn't actually say, aside from the room being shaken, if any other things happen. But what is clear is God began to gather people around who were truly curious, who were truly open, who were truly ready to hear the gospel. And many came. This is what God does when you pray. Now, here's the question. Are they spiritual superstars? Or is this available to you? And the answer is, this power is available to us all. Because it doesn't take a spiritual superstar. It just takes you being united to the one true spiritual superstar, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is God's beloved son, whom God loves to answer his prayers. And when Jesus was on earth, Jesus acted in ways similar to the early church. When Jesus began his ministry, the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus and never left him. And the Spirit helped Jesus to live a perfect, beautiful, sinless life of love. The Spirit helped Jesus to pray. The Spirit helped Jesus to do miracles. The Spirit helped Jesus to allow people to arrest him, to allow people to torture him, to allow himself to be restrained as he was nailed to a cross. The Spirit worked in Jesus. God's Spirit worked through Jesus when he taught and he preached with power. Thousands of people's lives were transformed. A shamed Samaritan woman sneaking to a well unseen at noon to get water was transformed in a moment by his words into a bold, unashamed woman who ran to her town and gave testimony not only of him but told people to come see him because he knew everything about her and opened her life up to them. A people-pleasing fisherman named Peter who was brave with like-minded people but a total coward amongst people who were skeptical could get up and be arrested and beaten and publicly proclaimed to a hostile culture about the true grace of God. A cynical, wealthy tax collector could meet Jesus and have him visit and hear his words and promise to give back half of his fortune to those he had defrauded. The list goes on and on. It's not just in Jesus, but the Spirit worked through Jesus powerfully. And the Spirit worked around Jesus. And power flowed around Jesus. He walked on water. He raised the dead. He calmed the sea with a word. Nature obeyed his commands. The earth shook with pain. When he was crucified and died, the sun stood still to honor his death. And in that moment... In the spiritual realm, death and sin were kicked off the throne. The power of death to define us, the power of sin to condemn us and make us ashamed was broken when a broken, bleeding man spoke these words to a cynical crowd, it is finished. Because in Jesus' death, 
The whole of the spiritual world was transformed because grace was unleashed. John chapter 1, for of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. And because of him and in him, we are united to that beloved relationship with the God who wants to unleash his power because he unleashed it in, through, and around Christ. And if you are in Christ, the power is available to you when you go to him in prayer to unleash that kind of power in you, to you, through you, and around you. You see here, we see the three members of the Trinity The Father, the Son, and the Spirit uniting together. You see, the Father is listening. And in Hebrews 7, 25, it says, Jesus, who's now risen from the dead, is praying with us and for us. Hebrews 7, 25 says, Consequently, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for you. To intercede is to pray. And the Holy Spirit is also involved. In Romans 8, 26, it says the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. You see, Jesus is praying for you when you pray. The Holy Spirit is interceding so that, to help you unite your prayers to his purposes. And the Father is listening because Romans 8 continues. It says, he who searches hearts, the Father, knows what is the mind of the Spirit Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the Father listens and hears and sifts and translates. And the Spirit helps to bring it up to him. And Jesus prays with you. There is so much power in the triune God praying with you and listening to you and praying for you. As you pray confidently and uniting your prayers to his purposes. Charles Spurgeon said, prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotent God. Applications. Your need is ever-present. Let the veil fall from your eyes and show you your dependence and your lack of control. Begin to pray. If you don't pray now, take baby steps. Take a few minutes as you start your day. Write it down if your mind is too scattered. I had to, I had to start writing because my, I'm too ADHD, I think. And I, it's the only way I could focus myself. Pray. Pray confidently. Knowing God hears you because of Jesus. God the Father listening. God the Son praying with you and for you. God the Spirit interceding with you to help you. And record your prayers. Write them down and leave them. And go back and go, oh. These five got answered, yes. These two, no. But this one that said, no, I really understand why. Thank goodness God said no to me marrying him. You know, those kind of things happen. (laughs) Well, they do to me. Pray, uniting your prayers to God's purposes. Pray for the Holy Spirit to give you power. Pray for God to work through you. Pray for the Spirit of Jesus to make you more like Jesus. Pray for boldness to be a public witness. In your small group, small group leaders, make kingdom praying a focus of your prayers this year, not just praying for specific needs of specific situations, but make them kingdom, may your kingdom come among us and through us to our city. Spurgeon again, pray when you can't pray until you can pray. Pray to be helped to pray 
And do not give up praying because you struggle or cannot pray. For it is when you think you cannot pray, that is when you are praying. I prayed for my father for decades. My father was uh, a person who'd grown up in church, but he didn't have a personal relationship with God, and he had some, he made some real ethical and other mistakes that drove him away from and then back to church. But he didn't seem to understand the grace of Jesus. And so I prayed for him for 25 years. And then he fell into Alzheimer's. We were praying that God would do something. But it's so hard as a son to try and share spiritual things with a father when you're not on the same page. And I had had, as you know, a complicated and hard relationship with my father. But my father-in-law had a great relationship with him. And when he found out about the Alzheimer's, he made a trip from Asia. He was in North America. He made a special trip just to come up to Orangeville, Ontario to see my dad and to tell him about the love of Jesus. And my dad respected and was shocked that he would come. And he said, he said to my dad, Sue's dad said, do you want to accept Jesus and his grace into your life? He says, yes, I do. I could hear him in the other room, and I, I, I was shaken with emotion. He said, but I want to do it personally. I have a very private relationship with God, so if you don't mind, I'll do it tonight. The next morning, I was driving my father back to the assisted living home that he now needed to stay in, and it was my last conversation with my father before Alzheimer's took his ability to coherently converse. And I said, Dad, how you doing? And he said, son, it's really hard because I'm slipping in and out of rationality and I can catch myself being incoherent and then it's just so frustrating and I know where this goes. I said, dad, you know, Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. If he who believes in me, though he dies, he will live forever. What do you think of that, dad? He said, he looked at me. He doesn't look at me usually in the car. He looked at me, he said, son, I'm counting on it. 25 years of prayer. Never thought it would happen. God unleashed his power when he needed to. He's sovereign. All those times I doubted anything would happen. I'm not saying it will always happen that way. But I'm saying to you, God gives power in prayer when you go to him, acknowledging your need acknowledging confidently his power and sovereignty and uniting your prayers to his purposes. He will unleash his power for his glory and our good. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and I praise you for your goodness to us. We love you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, here are the questions. Okay, as expected, the exact question I expected. <laughs> How do we reconcile your earlier call to pray boldly for anything? Exhibit A, an open fly. <laughs> Those of you who heard two weeks ago understand that one. Or a zit on your face with prayers that are specifically meant to further God's kingdom. Great question. I knew this question would come up. And so my answer is, if you're worried about something, pray about it. Now I'm saying here's a way to pray about it. Why do you want your zits gone? 
so that that girl will date you? Why do you want her to date you? In other words, you should pray about everything boldly, but you should learn to see everything in light of God's purposes for you. God's primary purpose for you is to be the image of Jesus to a broken world. And that should guide and inform and configure even the most simple of prayers, like take away my zits or make sure when I get up to preach my fly is... It's not open, is it? Okay. That was the thing from two weeks ago. And really, I'm not praying just so that I'm not embarrassed. I'm praying so I'm not a distraction to you while I talk to you about Jesus. And so that's how you reconcile the two. Personal prayers are personal, and you should pray about them. But you should pray about them in light of God's purposes for you to be his ambassador and his image. What happens when God doesn't seem to answer prayers, even when we think it aligns with his purpose and we pray with boldness? Kind of like the guy who sat beside me who was completely uninterested in, in my story but really wanted to tell me about Cambodia. It's okay. To go to a sovereign God and ask for your part is what they did. Give us boldness. They didn't say, we need 42 decisions or this many conversions or this result. They said, give us this perspective. Help us to do this in response. We leave the results to you. That's what they did. And so when, when, when God doesn't seem to be answering your prayers, it's hard, I know. God didn't seem to answer my prayers for my father for 25 years. It shouldn't have stopped me, and many times it did. I was just thankful, as we all should be, that my father came to faith. As we all, sorry. Those of you who are not yet Christians, you're not necessarily there yet, but... All of us who are Christians. How do we recognize the voice of God? Um, It's usually a slightly clipped British accent and a deep baritone voice. That's the voice of God. So when Ozzy preached, no. Um, I don't know. Usually God's voice is consistent with his word. So if he's asking you to do something that is inconsistent, that's the way I note for inconsistencies. All right, I should go to the table of the Lord, because I've just been told to check my fly. So, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he broke bread. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in memory of me. Jesus was inviting us to feast on the grace he was about to unleash with divine power at the cross. in his broken body, symbolized by the broken bread, would be the grace unleashing that would accomplish the victory of you and I over the power of sin and death. A little while later, he took a cup, a cup of wine, and said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this, drink this in memory of me. And what Jesus was saying was that he was going to pour out his blood and allow his body to be broken that his power would be unleashed for your good and your covering and the forgiveness of your sins. And if you're here and you are not yet a Christian, the invitation of this table is for you to believe in the one who broke his body and shed his blood for you. Come to him. There are prayers in the bulletin for you to examine. Ask him to come in. Receive him by faith. But if you're here and you are already a Christian, 
then this meal is for you. Receive a reminder and participate anew in the grace that has been unleashed for you in the body and blood of Christ. We are about to enter the Lord's table. The bread is gluten-free. The wine is darker than the grape juice. And after I've prayed, the table will be open. It will be passed to you. Take the bread and the cup at your own convenience as you meditate upon His grace. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and praise you for your goodness. And I ask now that you would come and show us your grace and manifest it in this body and blood poured out signified in this bread and this cup. May they be real spiritual nourishment to our souls. Help us to gaze upon and meditate and fellowship with Christ by your spirit as we eat and as we drink and as we pray and commune with you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. The table is open.